Baseball is back. Save 40% on The Athletic. Don't miss our exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season with breaking news, in-depth stories, and expert analysis on what's sure to be one of the most enthralling seasons in sports history. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash bags and brisby, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash bags and brisby for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 90 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And yet again, we get to talk about good Giants news. The Giants have been very kind to us insofar as they are doing the good things right before our podcast. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing okay. How are you? I am doing well. We are recording this on Thursday, which means that last night was Wednesday night, and it was a night of Mike Yastrzemski hitting two home runs. He hit a very pretty home run, a solo shot, and and I thought, oh, wow, there's the highlight of the night, and the Giants are going to lose recklessly, but they at least do it with a pretty home run like that, and then somehow they came back, and his walk-off home run was one of the prettiest home runs, like aesthetically, one of the prettiest home runs the Giants have hit in a good long while. Yeah, and it was really, really strange to be one of maybe 20 people in the in the stands, who not on the field, watching it, because off the bat, it's like, oh, that that's that's probably going to get out. You never know, right? It's it, you, it, it could JT snow its way off the top of the metal roof. It could get knocked down. We know that Breeze is not knocking it down this year. But I'm watching that and I'm thinking, wait a second, what that that's got to be like ready to curve foul or something because there was a cognitive dissonance. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, that's a home run, and yet I was doubting my own reaction to it because there was no um, you know sort of reinforcing. A cheer or hopeful wail from the crowd. You're used to hearing that, you know, right. that that reaction, and that didn't accompany it, of course, because cardboard cutouts don't make noise. And there was, you know, literally, I think I counted. There's 11 people uh, covering this game on the press level. There's maybe you know eight people on the broadcast level, um, you know, and 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 that's it. And so I'm watching it, and, and it's a majestic walk off home run. Yet until it, it the steam cannons went off, I'm like, what what, what is this? Why why are why, why is no one reacting to that? What what's going on? I mean, my brain was not functioning. It was really crazy. And then I I, I, I watched you know uh, both calls, uh, Dwayne Kuyper, John Miller, 
and they've seen a lot of baseball. They they do not doubt <laughs> themselves for a second. High drive, right field. You know, they they both just nailed the call. And you know, they've been waiting months on their couch for that moment to be able to make a call like that. It was just a great moment for Mikey Stremski. It was a great moment for the Giants. It was a great moment for the broadcasters. Uh, and it just really did still hammer home just how weird baseball is this year. It's an impossible task. The poor souls who are in charge of matching the crowd noise with the on-field action because it's not natural. It's not something that's uh, been practiced for decades. Everyone's sort of learning it on the fly. But there is just going to be a... You know, like there's going to be that beat. And I noticed it, you know, uh, I noticed it on the home opener. Um, and it's, it's it's not there's nothing you can do about it, but it's just it's going to add to that sense of of just bizarre. Where am I? I'm in an alternate dimension. I will say that I don't want to take all the credit, but I was at the home opener and I was not at uh, the night of Yastrzemski. And so I want I think I should take credit. Actually, they that happened because I wasn't there. You reverse jinxed it. It was, by the way, very nice to see you. We've been talking at each other for like twice a week for the last, you know, four or five months with, you know, no baseball going on. And and it was nice to, to actually see you from uh, from six to eight uh, reasonable feet away uh, in the press box. Neither one of us has had a haircut. It's 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 fantastic. I was wearing a hat. You were gloriously not not hatted. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we've got a billion things to talk about since uh, since our last podcast. Yeah, no, a couple of things on that. That's what my hair does naturally. Like I, that wasn't for effect. Just when I shower, I, I towel dry, and then all of a sudden I look like young Einstein or Lemony Snickets or something, and it, it's it's really <laughs> bizarre. Uh, and I and so I did it, and I I put on my colored shirt, and I was gonna put a hat on. I'm like, you know what? No, let this is. I think having my hair like that says to other people. Wow, this guy takes it seriously. So seriously, he won't go to a barber. I should respect his distancing wishes. I know that I can. I'm, I feel safe around him. It's kind of like a. It's nature's telling me to do this. Um, but to your to your previous point, which is more important, uh, it was good to see you. It was it was weird that we're both masked up and uh, sitting ten feet away, give or take. And it's very, very hard to hear each other. You know, there's there twisted sisters coming over the the PA or whatever, and it's I'm sitting there screaming at you, and I'm looking at you, and right now I'm not looking at you, but you're crystal clear in my in my left ear, and it that was bizarre to me. Just like wow, I talk to this guy for hours every week, and I can't hear him, and he's right there. Yeah, but but you got around that by just Slack messaging me from, from ten feet away. It was great. <laughs> Oh, 2020. What a strange time. Oh, man, it is. The Yastrzemski thing. So this is what I'm writing about today. It'll probably publish uh, at some point this afternoon, maybe by the time you're listening to this. But it's getting me thinking on the larger picture of Mike Yastrzemski. And I I read, I I seem to mention Roger Munter's newsletter a lot on this podcast just because I I really enjoy his writing and I think he's he's very astute. Uh, But he was, he made a list of like the 10 giants who might contribute to the next good giants team. And he he had a caveat with, you know, I I considered Mike Yastrzemski. I'm not sure that he's he's 30. I don't think he's going to be around for the next good giants team. I'm not so sure. And part of that is because we've talked about it before teams can arrive a year ahead of schedule. We've listed them off, the Braves, the Twins, the Cubs. They've all sort of had this wave that you were expecting, and then you turned around and it was there before you before you thought it would be. The Giants could do that, 
next year? Okay, maybe that's a stretch. What about the year after that? Certainly not as much of a stretch. We don't know what's going to happen in two years' time. And Yastrzemski, to this point, has shown that he could be a guy who's around for at least a few years because he's looking really good. And you know what? I was starting to think that even before... Uh, you know, he homered against a lefty uh, to, to walk it off. And he homered on Chris Paddock's right-handed changeup earlier in the game. The guy's got a little bit of a reverse split. He's the one guy that you know the Giants are platooning their brains out this year, but they're going to play him every day. So that tells you what they think about him. And yeah, he's going to be 30 later this year. But even watching him play center field, he's getting good jumps. He glides after balls. He, he looks like a guy who's going to age pretty well for the next couple of years. He's, he's an underrated athlete. And I, I was the same as you. I, you. You're just waiting for the regression bounce from a guy who's a breakout 29-year-old rookie. You know, you hate to use the word fluke, but it's just, it's too ingrained. There's too many examples of that happening in baseball. But the more you watch Mikey Stremski, the more you're thinking, this guy's, you know, not only an everyday player, he could be a star player. He really could be arriving as a star player with the changes he's made to his game, with the opportunities he's getting now, uh, and with the skills he has. And, uh... Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I've moved into that column as well. Hey, nice story. They were able to fish something out of the out of the churn last year. You know, too bad he's 29 and, and he's not going to be a part of the next good Giants team. Maybe they can flip him and get something for him. Well, I, I'm starting to come around just like you are. Uh, and uh, and I think that if the Giants can accelerate and, and be a, a competitive team in you know, 2022, uh, then Mike Ostremski could definitely be a part of that team. With the Padres in town, it, it's got me thinking about the idea of a, a like a post-stats baseball world. And what I mean by that is the Padres sent out Drew Pomerantz for a save on a, during the home opener, and he just cut through the Giants like butter. He looked like he looked like the kind of guy who deserved a four-year, I think, thirty-two million dollar contract, which. A year ago at this time, if you said four years and $32 million for a contract for Pomerantz, you would have said, like, oh, did he discover, like, a cure for cancer? Like, what? how is he getting that money? From whom? Did he, did he write a, a novel? Um, but no, he, he just turned himself around in the bullpen. And the Brewers saw it instantly. We, we all watched it when he came out of the bullpen for the Giants. He had a couple outings where it's like, wow, that was different. That, that looked great. The Brewers saw it. And believed in it, believed in it enough to to trade, uh, you know, a fairly thought, a uh, well thought of young player for him. And when it came to the off season, we had a couple of months of sample size, and the Padres believed it. The Padres saw it, and they have the data, and they believed in it. And that kind of translates to Mike Yastrzemski insofar as the Giants believe it. The Giants aren't saying, well, let's see what happens this year. And this is a short, you know, this we only have 60 games this year, so we won't even know. No, that's that's not the state of analysis right now. It's you're seeing there. You look under the hood and Yastrzemski's got the bat speed. He's got the 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 exit velocity. He's He's got stuff that should make the Giants believe in him. And they're going to have him until they don't want him, you know, for the next five years. If And I think he's going to be an asset for those five years, at least in part. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of the reverse of what Brian Sabian always used to say, which was, you know, you trust the back of the baseball card. You know, that, that guys are going to put up the numbers that they normally put up. Uh, and it's like, no, you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, there is so much data 
uh, that can tell you that's predictive. You know what what people are going to do, um, and, and whether it's the pitchers with spin rates and and vertical breaks and trying to figure out how you can plot them in and maximize their talents, uh, they are much better at being predictive at, at who's going to be productive, who's going to have success. You know, based on a lot of the uh, um, biometric data that they can collect these days, and. Uh, and and then there's just watching the game and 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 seeing is believing and and Mike Ostrzemski keeps doing it. He keeps uh, he keeps contributing on both sides of the ball. So um, and and let's not you know underrate too. I mean the the fact that if he can play a decent center field, that's a trouble spot for this team as well. I mean Billy Hamilton is is still uh, sort of out with with uh, the undisclosed medical issue. Stephen Duggar has obviously dealt with injuries and hasn't uh, been able to establish himself, and so it's a real trouble spot for this organization if they don't have someone who can handle center field and, and Yastrzemski looks like he's going to be okay there too. So um, yeah, just, I, I think he's going to be the MVP of this team pretty much obviously when it's all said and done. Yeah. That was actually going to segue into my next question is how does he look out there? Cause to me, I don't think he's really been tested too much yet. You know, it's, it's only been a few games, but everything that he's had to do, he's done. Uh, he, he's always had good jumps, no matter if he's in a corner or in center field. We know he's athletic. We also know he's not a, a burner. You know, he's not Jalen Davis. He's not Billy Hamilton. Uh, but at the same time, only one of those two players that I mentioned really can play a gold glove caliber defense and center. So it's not all about foot speed so far. I wouldn't say I've been impressed because I don't think we've had the opportunity to be impressed so far. I haven't been disabused of the notion that he can play a solid center field. Yeah. I just, I just like his actions. I like the jumps he gets. I like the reads he gets. Uh, I, I, you know, closing speed, is it going to be elite? No, but, uh, um, you know, you can make up for that. Kevin Pillar is a great example of a guy who doesn't have very good closing speed, but he can help himself with positioning uh, and, uh, and and take a lot of hits away. And and you know what? Yastrzemski, I was listening to him. You know, we had him on a Zoom call last night, and then uh, when I was driving home, he, he called in to Mark Willard on KNBR, and one thing that they talked about there was the fact that center field has moved in almost 10 feet, so you can play even a little more shallow than you used to. And, and that can mean taking a few hits away in front of you, which, uh, you know, Pilar, it seemed like he played a great center field last year, but the metrics did not show that. And that's because a lot of sneaky hits fell in front that you didn't think necessarily was a misplay, but they're, they're hits that a lot of really good center fielders can take away because they don't play as deep as Pilar did last year. And if Yastrzemski can have that little extra cushion to play a little more shallow because center field is 391 instead of 399, then you know that can probably help him and, and anybody else who plays center field out there this year. Let's take a quick time out to tell you about Dugout Mugs, a company that started in a college dugout. Licensed by Major League Baseball, it's your favorite team, laser engraved onto a birchwood baseball bat barrel mug. Perfect for the big game, to put on display, or to be the life of the party. It's a unique gift for a baseball fan. Go to dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and use promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash theathletic and code MLB30. Fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug today. So questions about the park. Two games in and that first game, it sort of looked like the park was a little smaller. And whether that's because uh, uh, 
the right field areas were closed and, and maybe that changes the jet stream or changes the, the wind patterns. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a baseball that I, I'm still thinking about today because it was an inside fastball and he went the other way with it, which shouldn't work at all for a single, much less a home run, but he pummeled it and it, it sailed out to the right field. And we all thought, huh, is that him being an alien or is that just the park? Uh, then Will Myers blasted a ball and it started to look like the park was playing a little smaller. And then last night, the Giants hit four home runs for the first time in a home game since 2018. They've done it uh four or five times since Barry Bonds was on the team. I mean, it's, it's like a once-every-other-year occurrence to do a four-homer game at home. They did it last night. So is the park playing smaller? It's a great question. It certainly looked that way in the exhibitions. I think, uh, you know, every home run a right-handed hitter hits out to right field is going to be called a pinder ball from now on because it was Chad Pinder's double off the top of the arcade that made everyone go, what is going on here? Um, even a, a front office executive texted me and was like, why is the ball flying like this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, talking to Alfie Felder, who's uh, one of the operations chiefs for the Giants, um, you know, they put this scrim, this windshield cloth, uh, in the archways, um, and ostensibly it was so, you know, the knothole gang couldn't congregate and try to catch, you know, what would be the only public glimpse of live baseball you're going to get in San Francisco this year. Um, that was just because you don't want people to congregate anywhere right now for health and safety reasons. Um, but it had the effect of blocking that breeze that blows through the archways and ends up uh, coming around that pole and pushing everything uh, hit down the, the um, right field line towards center where it was the biggest part of the ballpark. I mean, it really did affect... Uh, how the how the park played because when you look at the winds aloft uh, the flags are blowing straight out uh, to center and in right field uh, and it was that sort of cross breeze underneath that would be a sort of a mitigating factor and if that's not there uh, then yeah the ball will travel out I mean it's cold but but if the wind is, is going in that direction um, then you could see a little bit of a jet stream effect. And I think we have seen that. Uh, Tatis's ball, I mean, that's just, yeah, That if it wasn't for that horse, I would have never gone to college. That, that gets stuck <laughs> in your brain, and, and you're just going to have an embolism. I'm sorry. That, that's, you just got to flush that out. But um, he, he's, he's a great player. I mean, he's an elite player, and, and Gabe Kapler was like, look, I'm not chalking that up to anything other than Fernando Tatis Jr. doing something special. But the Will Myers ball uh, that, that he hit out in the home opener – you know, that was crushed. That was hit hard. As Jeff Samarja said, that would have been out in a hurricane. But also, if you match the exit velocity and the launch angle, it's only a homer like 26% of the time. And so it clearly should not travel 420 feet like it did. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think something's going on um, with the ballpark. It's going to play a little bit more lively. It's going to be harder for contact pitchers to sort of to sort of hide them in the ballpark than maybe in the past. And, and who knows, maybe they can decide in the future that they like the way the ball the, the ballpark plays. Maybe they can replace that scrim cloth with plexiglass in the future, and and it'll do the same thing to knock out that wind. But um, and and that's kind of cool that they have that amount of control 
Um, maybe they could even make it like a louvered plexiglass and they could like from series to series open it and close it depending on <laughs> who's coming in. Uh, I mean, really, it, it's kind of opens up a whole host of interesting questions. But, you know, for now, uh, it's it, I was all ready to write about how this lineup is not equipped to face right-handed pitchers. They're about to fall to 0-4 against right-handed starters. I think 29 of the 34 hits coming in the game had been singles. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like they're a match for a livelier home ballpark. And then they went and did what they did. And, you know, we probably have talked a ton about Mike Yastrzemski, and for good reason, the guy hit, you know, one splash hit, and it should have been two splash hits, something nobody's ever done in a game besides Barry Bonds. But there was also a pretty big three-run homer in the eighth inning, too. Yeah. No, I mean, Donovan Solano, my goodness. That, that was his career high in home runs is four, I believe. So he's uh, now a quarter of the way to his career high in home runs. So it was a little unexpected, but another important home run there was Alex Dickerson. So if he's, if Dickerson is healthy and he is in that lineup against right-handers, maybe that gives the Giants a little bit more of a chance. And then you start thinking, okay, well, who's playing first against right-handers? Maybe it's Pablo Sandoval, who just, he's never really been great uh, against left-handers. He's not so hot against right-handers right now either. And you start thinking about Brandon Belt coming back. Uh, Wilmer Flores is there, but Evan Longoria, he was a net positive offensively last year. So maybe when the Giants get a little bit healthier and they figure it out just just a little bit more maybe they won't be as inept against right-handers but I do agree with you the left-handed lineup gives me a lot more confidence especially when like the holdover in that lineup is is Yastrzemski and he looks like he can hit left-handers right now and everyone else when you're talking Slater you're talking Darren Ruff uh, Solano it looks like a stronger lineup against lefties yeah, I agree. I like what I'm seeing from Slater. I think he's showing some really good um, zone awareness early on. He's taken some really good swings, and he started right on right. He got a, a on base ahead of uh, Solano's three-run homer. Uh, Solano looks like a guy who you don't want to overexpose him, but I think he can play against some righties too. Uh, against lefties, I, I like what I'm seeing from Darren Ruff. Uh, then you go to the guy who is the DH, uh, uh um, Thursday night, uh, Hunter Pence, who's 0 for 17 to start the season. So, yeah. I and I, I think that, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's an 0 for 17. It doesn't mean everything. Yeah, he's he's behind high fastballs. Yeah, he's certainly being pitched a certain way. Um, I, I think what, what may be hard or maybe too easy to fall into the oh no kind of pattern here is we saw this the last time he was a giant and it was the fact he rescued his career with the Rangers last year, that that seems like the crazier thing than Hunter Pence, you know, swinging through pitches and starting the year over 17. So you hope for his sake and for the fans' sake and everybody that he can turn it around. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's I don't think you want him as your right-handed DH against a right-handed starter. And Brandon Belt coming back, I think, is going to help to solve a lot of that because I think clearly they were not willing to give Joe McCarthy another shot uh, Thursday night. Yeah, and that's that's something that I noticed during the home opener is that Joe McCarthy was coming up. I believe he was in the DH position, and he was scheduled to hit against a right-handed pitcher, and the Giants sent up Hunter Pence in his place, which sort of gives me a, a little pause when it comes to the the, the organization's confidence in Joe McCarthy right now. Uh, I don't know. Am I reading a little too much into that? It's going to be pretty automatic that Joe McCarthy is going to be one of the guys to go down, I think, when Brandon Belt's activated, uh, which we expect to be, you know, probably later uh, today. Um, and, you know, Evan Longoria as well is supposed to be activated. And I, I, to me, 
the the big question on the horizon is this weekend because the Texas Rangers are most likely going to start a pair of left-handed starters in three games. And the Giants have this guy who's a good right-handed power hitter. You may have heard of him. His name is Joey Bart. And he is whiling away at Sacramento. He is taking ground balls at first base now, so I've been told. But he hasn't played there in, in a scrimmage. I, I They're past the service time clock. I just think it's, it's time to get Joey Bart on this team, probably Friday, uh, to start that Texas series. You can sort of read between the lines with the Rob Brantley DFA and Chadwick Trump. Uh, coming up because the Giants want to see Tyler Heineman as the lefty hitting part of a catcher platoon uh, rather than the right-handed part of a catching platoon. They, they feel as if he's stronger from the, the left side. And so getting Trump up it, it makes you think, okay, now you have a little bit of power from the against a lefty. You get to, to thicken that left-handed pitcher lineup a little bit more, uh, but it just, if you're thinking that, it makes a lot more sense to have Bart up. It, like, Bart is Trump squared, if that's a mathematical equation. <laughs> Let's square Trump and see what happens. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, when you hear about some of the things with, with, with Heinemann, he's done some nice things offensively. I don't know if you want him as your left-handed portion of a platoon because that means he's going to play a lot. I think that mm. playing Bart against righties and, and lefties and, you know, just having him more as a traditional, you know, five times a week catcher probably makes more sense. Um, you know, they don't want this guy. He's the number two overall pick. You don't you don't want to bring this guy up and have him platoon. I, I don't think. Um, you know, I could be wrong about that. But, um, you know, Heinemann got called for catcher's interference twice. Uh, in the first week of the season, and Gabe Kapler said the reason that, that that is happening is because they thought he was catching curveballs a little too deep and wasn't sh- displaying them for strikes. Uh, mm-hmm. Danny Jimenez especially uh, maybe had a couple pitches at Dodger Stadium that could have been strikes that uh, uh, were caught a little deep, and so with their lateral break, they, they moved out of the zone. And so they asked him to move up in the box, and now he's moving up in the box, and he's making the adjustment to the fact that his glove's getting clipped by swings twice, and and that obviously is an error and and gives teams a free base runner. And, and, you know, Gabe Kapler's point was, hey, you know, this is part of development. This is part of learning. You learn from your mistakes. And that's all true, but you don't see that at the major league level. You just don't. And and I think that if there's room to improve defensively on the catching side uh, with Joey Bart, I think they got to do it. And, And you look at... Belt, Longoria, Bart, that's going to stabilize the lineup against both lefties and righties. That's also going to stabilize the defense quite a bit. Um, so, you know, I think this team could be in a lot better shape uh, a couple days from now. Yeah, no, Mike Kruko was saying on the broadcast last night, and I, I don't know this stuff, so I'm going to take him at his word, but uh, when Trump was setting up, he was setting a target, and he said it was very common for young catchers to set that target and then drop the hand, and then bring it back up to catch. And that's going to affect how you frame, how, how you sell the pitch. And after he said it, Trump just kept doing it. And it was sort of eye-opening. It's, it's something that maybe you don't see a lot or notice a lot because most major league catchers have solved that tick. Uh, but the Giants are in the, this position where they, they've had three catchers so far, neither or none of whom have had a ton of major league experience at all. And it's weird to say that Bart, as a rookie, could be the defensive savior. But so far, it looks like he would be the best option based on what we've seen in out of camp. Yeah, I agree. And uh, it all depends on what the Giants want to do this year. And you could make an argument. 
you can make the argument that there is no better time to tank a season than right now. You're not pulling in revenue. You don't need to worry about, you know, fans not buying tickets. Um, it's a short season. You rip the Band-Aid off. You, you lose, you know, 45 games or whatever it takes, and you get that number one pick. However, there's a couple of, a couple of things. One, you're not guaranteed to necessarily get the number one pick if you have the worst record. In, in the March return-to-play agreement, um, part of, part of uh, the language in there is that if they play less than 81 games, it's the commissioner and MLB's discretion how to um, arrange the draft order. It's not necessarily based on reverse record of the standings. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is everything we've seen from Farhan Zaidi, from Gabe Kapler, uh, from everybody in this front office, this coaching staff, has shown you that they really want to win. They really do. They know it's they're not going to be favored. They know the odds are against them. They, they I think they're going to use this season as a Petri dish to try to find ways they can optimize that's going to help them in future years as much as possible. But it's all striving toward the same goal, which is winning. And I think that if they want, really want to win and they really want to put themselves in the best position to win, then Joey Bart's got to be on this team. And, and not only for now... But for next year, too, because, you know, Buster Posey will come back and he's got another year on his contract and he will have missed an entire season. And it'll be really hard to know what to expect from a 34-year-old Buster Posey. You don't want to be breaking Joey Barton into the big leagues, you know, with, you know, 10 big league games under his belt or whatever next year. You, you want him to have some experience this year. And, and being in the big leagues is the only way he can get that. And I, I just, yeah, it, it would it would boggle my mind if he is not on this team on Friday. And another point that gets overlooked a little bit is that if you're going to fold Joey Bart into the major leagues, wouldn't you want to do it outside of Buster Posey's shadow? If he, if he does it next year, it's going to be a little bit of Steve Young, Joe Montana, uh, where, you, well, is this the time to push Posey aside completely? Is this, it, there would be just a little little bit of subtext for every start that Bart gets, for every start that Posey gets. That's not there now. That This is the opportunity to just say, go get him, kid, because I looked to the left and there's Tyler Heineman, look to the right, there's Chadwick Trump. Go out there, Joey Bart, and seems sort of like the perfect position for him. Yeah, it could be. I th- you could also make the other argument that having Posey there every day uh, to sort of provide counsel would would be valuable as well. And I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of, you know, for years in baseball that was, hey, this guy's coming up to take my job. I'm going to be salty toward the rookie, and that still happens to, to some extent, but maybe less so than than used to be. Um, there's maybe players are a little less territorial within their own clubhouse, or maybe I'm completely wrong about that, but it seems that way anyway. Um, and with Buster, especially he's, he's talked so many times about wanting to uh, do for the next catcher, what Benji Molina did for him. So, you know, I, I do think that, that it would be easier for Joey Bart to break into the big leagues if he did have Buster there to locker next to every day. Um, but you know, he doesn't have that, but he always has Buster's phone number and, and, and Buster has, has said that he's going to, uh, help on the scouting front, help on uh, the game planning front, do whatever he can, you know, from, from home to, to pitch in and, and add his ideas. And I'm sure that's going to include, uh, Joey's, uh, development as a big league catcher as well. Uh, all right. Well, I will split the difference then. I think it would be better for Joey Barch if he had Buster Posey there as a mentor, an in-person mentor. It's better, uh, for the hot take machines that exist in our world. It's, it's better for, uh, it's just going to be a little quieter if he does it 
this year as opposed to next year. Uh, but then next year he would get Buster Posey as the mentor, uh, ostensibly. And I think I think he can have the best of both worlds. But to your larger point, just get him up. Yeah, I, I want to see him now. It's it's we we're we've passed the five days. If the season stops tomorrow, they don't they don't waste a year of his service time. Uh, he he should be up. He should be up. Yeah, I agree. He should be up. All right. Well, this has been episode 90 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'd like to thank Tanika Smothers for producing us. I'd like to thank Chainsaw Guy, my neighbor, who runs his chainsaw <laughs> at all times. He was chainsawing until midnight last night. I don't know what, what? he's doing. Yeah. No, it's uh, Chainsaw Guy has been doing this for about five months, and he's mercifully never been doing it during a podcast. Uh, but Chainsaw Guy, we can't figure it out because it, I don't live next to houses with acreage. Like, there shouldn't be that many trees. I, is he making little dinosaur sculptures? I don't know, but it's it's impressive. Can you peek over the fence and see are there like giant majestic redwood grizzly bear statues and, you know, or maybe ice statues? I would, except here's the thing about Chainsaw Guy. Constant angry profanities constantly just really? screaming just screaming rawr, rawr, and they're all swear words and it, it's amusing you know I, my daughters have heard these words before i'm hoping they don't repeat them but it's also terrifying that a he's this angry maybe the angriest person i've ever heard in my life and b has a chainsaw so no i am not peeking my head over the fence to see what he's doing i'm just going to complain about it on a podcast you won't hear over under on fingers that he currently has uh, seven and a half. Yeah, and he's always yelling at a dog, too. So I wonder what kind of jerk that oh, dog is, man. even though oh. that dog's probably a pretty good boy, you know? He's probably a pretty good boy. Yeah. All right, this has been episode 90. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back on Monday, and hopefully the Giants continue their pattern of giving us something happy, fun to talk about. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you then. <laughs>